It's been 12 weeks since our second baby was born, and one of the most common questions we've been getting is, what is it like going from one kid to two? In this episode, we're sharing what the transition has been like for us, the things we've been learning along the way, and offering some practical tools that helped us and will hopefully help other families entering this new season of life. This is Life with Amy and Jordan. So if we're being completely honest with you, we are exhausted recording this episode. And the reason that we're exhausted is because recently, about 12 weeks ago, almost to be exact, we transitioned from one child to two children. And so now we've got a, a two, a two year old and some change and a 12 week old. To and- which all parents probably raise their coffee mug and <laughs> cheers us and nod and like, a, yeah, I feel you. <laughs> we salute you. God bless. Good luck. Oh my gosh. Remember how hard that was? But it was one of those nights last night where for whatever reason we had been like in a groove. We felt like we were on a schedule. Yeah. And then for whatever reason, last night was the night that our two-year-old learned how to climb out of his crib. And so we had this like whole issue of like him trying to climb out of his crib and we're trying to put him down. It's actually quite an amazing physical feat because we had him recreated and watched him do it again. And it was really amazing. To He's kind of like baby Rambo. To when watch he does his little it. legs go over the rail and the way he grabs on and doesn't fall. Sometimes I think to myself when I watch little toddlers like climb up things, I try to put it, you know that movie, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? Yes, where everything is giant is size. Giant. Put it in that context, I'm always like, wait a second, if my crib was 40 feet tall. <laughs> would I ever think I'm going to scale that thing? No. I would no. never think that. No, you wouldn't think that. And so anyways, long story short, <laughs> by the time we got the one like locked in his crib <laughs> and then all of a sudden the sweet angel newborn who previously had slept 12 hours the night before, praise the good Lord. That 12 she- hours uninterrupted, which was like the Mecca. It was just like the ultimate amazing. It was a gift. It was a gift. Yeah. And so like thought, manna from heaven. Yeah. So we're thinking, okay, she'll do it again. So it was eight o'clock. We're like, okay, this is good. We're going to put the, the newborn down for bed now. And then we are going to watch a show. And for whatever reason, our newborn decided to be awake from 6 p.m. until like 11 p.m. Which I didn't even know was physically possible. Our sleep coach tells us every 90 minutes they're supposed to be asleep. So I was like, what is going on? I mean, she is an angel baby in every way, except for that like witching hour from like 7 to 11. And so anyways, we finally get her down. And then at 12, 1230, she wakes up and wants to be nursed, which she hasn't done in the middle of the night for weeks. Anyways, long story short, this morning we were sitting um, on the front porch thinking to ourselves, no way. There's no way we're recording. We're today. like, we can't record this episode about transitioning from one to two. And then we we're like, you know what? Maybe this is the perfect time yeah. to so, record this so episode. So if, if you're listening right now and you're a parent who has transitioned, if you're in the transition from one to two right now, grab your coffee, put a little bourbon in it, and let's go. <laughs> we salute you. <laughs> I don't know if I can officially endorse the bourbon part, but we do salute you. Yeah, no, no, no. Only if you're in the South. Only if you're in Kentucky. <laughs> if you're a father in Kentucky with coffee right now, and it happens to be morning when you're listening to this. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Anyways, in this episode, we are talking about the transition from one kid to two kids. I almost said one kids to two kids, and I realized midstream that was not grammatically correct. So, But it would make sense to all the other parents who are also <laughs> sleep-deprived like us. And so we're a lot of people have been asking us, you know, is the transition from one to two, is it easier? Is it harder? Like, what does that look like? Honestly, that is a big question, and we're going to tackle a lot of that in this episode. At first blush, Amy, what do you think? Has it been easier? harder? What would you say? I don't know if I could say easier or harder. I just feel like it's been different and we've been learning a new rhythm. And so that's been a challenge and it's had its gifts. And I think 
It's funny whenever we're recording one of these episodes, I think I am definitely not qualified to be talking talking about this topic because we've literally been doing this for 12 weeks. <laughs> we're certainly not experts in transitioning from one kid to more kids um, because we're right in the middle of it right now. But I think that's that's kind of the beauty of this podcast is we just want to share what we're learning as we go. And, um, you know, we say that this is this is life with Amy and Jordan. And so we just want to share what's going on in our life right we're now. We're in the middle. <laughs> of life right now is for sure. It is. And it's been so beautiful in so many ways and so challenging in so many ways. And isn't that life all the time? So I think we just wanted to share some of the things um, that we have been working through and things that we've learned as we've gone transitioning from one to two. Yeah. And one of the things that we've been talking about recently, just kind of between you and me, is that um, we talked about this a few episodes back, but we've been reading a book called Upstream. Oh, it's and so it's good. so good, guys. If you have an opportunity, get the book Upstream on Audible, get the hard copy, whatever you have That's to do. That's how we are rolling right now because we don't really have the capacity to pick up a physical book and read it, but we've been listening to books on Audible. And so we have both been listening to this one because it's just so good. Yeah. And one of the, probably the biggest lesson that we've learn from the book Upstream is something that it's obvious and intuitive and it kind of makes sense. But if we're being honest, it's really hard to do. And the premise of the book Upstream is this idea that if there are problems downstream, so there could be a problem in your life or problems in your life. A lot of times the solution is not to try to solve that problem right then and there. The, pr- the solution is to go upstream and find the problem upstream that's causing the problem downstream. And Jordan, I know that you've shared this on one other episode, but I feel like it's worth sharing the illustration again because I didn't really understand this idea of upstream and downstream until you gave this little example from the book. So yeah. I think it's worth repeating because yeah. and since we're talking about kids, this different. story is perfect. <laughs> yeah, I think it has like a really good I, of course the the book is written mostly from like a business and like big world problem con- problem solving context, but I think it also really applies to this situation. So yeah. I think it's worth repeating. So, so, the, so the story that he opens the first 60 seconds of the book, it's captivating and it gets your attention. He's a great author, but he says, so there's a story and he says, there's two guys that are down on a riverbank and the two guys are standing on the riverbank and they look out into the river and they see a child drowning. And so the first man says, oh my goodness, there's a child drowning in the river. I'm going to go save the child. And the man jumps into the water and he grabs the child and he brings the child safely to the shore. By the time he gets the child safely to the shore, he notices there's another child in the exact same spot drowning. So the guy goes, swims back out into the river, grabs the kid who's drowning and brings him back. Then after that kid is saved, he looks back and there's a third child in the same spot drowning in the river. And while he's going out to save the third child, his friend who was on the riverbank with him takes off running up the riverbank. And he looks at his friend and he yells, hey, where are you going? There are this, there are children drowning in the river. Why are you running upstream? And the friend yells back to him, I'm going to find the guy who's throwing the children in the river. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> and you're like, oh my gosh. And that is such a good, not just a good metaphor for, for business, but a good metaphor for life in general. And one of the things that he talks about in the book, Upstream, is that one of the biggest challenges with living your life with upstream thinking, in other words, like kind of trying to anticipate problems and solve them before they start before they start and become a big deal because if you prevent the guy who's throwing the kids in the river then you never have to save the kids from drowning in the river right? right and so that can be really challenging to if like jordan was saying if you're 
solving the problem before it starts or trying to solve the problem before it starts, then you never really know exactly what strife you're saving yourself from, right? Because it doesn't happen, which is a good thing. But it's sometimes hard to measure how much those uh, upstream problems can make a big difference without even really realizing um, what you've done. Yeah. And one of the things I remember when we were teaching fourth and fifth grade, and in a second, we're going to get to transitioning from one to two kids. But I think it's important when we were uh, teaching fourth and fifth grade, we saw all kinds of students. There were lots of different types of students. And one of the things that we could always tell is we could always match in a lot of ways the student to the parent. And the parents that were really intentional with their 10-year-old thinking, what is 10 years from now going to look like for my 20-year-old? Those were also the parents that at 10 days old were thinking, what is life going to look like for my 10-year-old? And they were making as many proactive decisions as they could with the best information they had, knowing that they were probably going to be solving a lot of problems upstream, but also knowing that they would never really know how good or bad things would have been because they were being proactive. And so one thing that we're just going to start this episode by saying is that we had no idea what it was going to be like going from zero to one kids kids. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we had no idea what it was going to look like going from one kid to two kids. And I don't think there's any way to know, you know, obviously we didn't do it perfectly. We're only 12 weeks in yep. um, mm-hmm. where we, I wouldn't say you could consider us experts on the subject just yet. <laughs> Certainly not. <laughs> but I do think one of the things that we tried to be really intentional about with Beckett, our son was preparing him well in advance for the arrival of his sister, because we talked to a lot of other parents who already had two, three, four kids and they had been through that. And by the way, that's the best thing that you can do right? Is anytime you're about to enter a season of life, go find people who have already done that season of life and say, Hey, give me all your best advice. Give me all your wisdom. Because one of the things that Amy and I firmly believe is that most of life is not about intelligence. It's not the people with the best brains are the most successful. Usually it's the people with the most open minds, mm-hmm. right? And the most open hearts and the people who say, I don't know it all. I don't have the answers, but wait a second. I see a lot of other human beings <laughs> who have already gone through this. Maybe I can just steal the wisdom from them and then hopefully avoid problems that they had down the road. And so mm-hmm. it was really important to us when we found out we were pregnant. As soon as we found out we were pregnant, we thought, okay, A, we've got to start making decisions for Emily, our daughter, right? Making proactive Mm -hmm. decisions for her. Like, are we going to read to her in the womb? Are we going to sing to her? What are the things we're going to do to start right now? But also, now we have another child to consider. And and what are we going to do? Beckett was about 18 months, I would say, give or take, when we found out that we were pregnant. So still really young and maybe not um, in a position where he would even understand what the word brother or sister meant or new baby or what any of that was going to look like. So our first job, really, when we were pregnant, we were trying as much as possible just to prepare Beckett for the idea that there was going to be another baby and help that that concept cement for the first time. So one of the first things we did is my mom actually gifted us like the day that we told her that we were pregnant. She was so excited and she was like, I already have a book for Beckett about this. She was so prepared. It was so sweet. And so she gave us one of those books that says, I'm a big brother. And it was a little picture book where it, it, Uh, shows really cute illustrations of like a toddler boy and a baby and what it's going to be like to have a new baby in the house. And we started reading 
that book to Beckett constantly and saying, you're going to be a big brother, Beckett. Mommy has a baby in her tummy. And like as a father, I was really motivated to like prepare Beckett for the fact that he was going to have a baby sister because I had just recently read this like scientific experiment that was done with toddler boys and girls. And what they basically did is they put a bunch of toddler boys in a room and put a bunch of toddler girls in a room and they took little baby dolls and they gave the baby dolls to the room of girls and they gave the same baby dolls to the room of little toddler boys. And within a few minutes of them giving the dolls to the children, the little girls were like holding the babies and nurturing the babies and talking to the babies, (laughs) like pretending to feed the babies and just doing everything to nurture and love the babies. The boys in the other room had turned the babies into human torpedoes. Oh, my gosh. They were decapitating (laughs) the babies. They were slamming them against the wall. They were throwing them. They were treating them like footballs. So I think the upstream problem that we were trying to avoid. Like, save my daughter from this toddler boy. Was like, uh uh-oh. If we, like, don't start getting Beckett on board for this idea of being, like, sweet and nurturing and protective, then he might end up, like, physically harming our baby, right? So we were like, we really need to get him on board to the idea of ownership, of being a big brother and being proud of that and uh, taking ownership, like, this is my sister. This is my job to protect her. So that's something that Jordan would say over and over again when uh, I was still pregnant with Emily is he would say, you know, Beckett, what's your number one job as a big brother? And he could get Beckett to say, protect her, um, and which was just the cutest thing ever. So we were trying to do as much as we could to involve Beckett in the pregnancy. We took him to the ultrasound. He didn't understand what an ultrasound was or what he was looking at, but we had him sit on the table with me and he actually held my hand and he would put his hand on my belly and we would say, you know, your sister's in there. She's wiggling. Whenever I would feel Emily kicking, I would say, you know, Emily's kicking. Do you want to feel? And most of the time he would say no. (laughs) And he really didn't care very much. Right. But we were trying as much as we could. And that is one of my favorite new things. Sorry to interrupt. That's one of my favorite new things that he does is now he's like two and four months. The autonomy of toddlers. He loves the word no. He loves the word no. And so sometimes I I will whisper to him thinking that if I whisper in like a gentle, more sweet voice, that it will cause his heart to be gentle and more sweet. And so the other day I said something to him like, Hey Bex, do you want to go read some books with Dada? And he looked at me and goes, no. In a whisper voice. <laughs> so great. And he does. I mean, that's really one of his favorite words right now. But even when we get that that little bit of toddler pushback, it, we're like, okay, we're going to keep talking to him about this. We're going to keep saying these same phrases over and over and over again so that he can start to get the idea. Um, and I heard from a friend of mine was like, you know, my doctor told me one way is instead of saying like, the baby needs something or the baby is crying to say your sister needs something, your sister is crying so that there's just the, the phrase of ownership that really can make a difference in the way that he views his sister. We'll continue to talk more about that in just a minute. But first, do you love taking photos but wonder why yours don't look like the ones you see online? What if we told you there was a free online photography class that would help you fix that? We're Amy and Jordan, and along with hosting this show, we're professional photographers who help people take better pictures. We created a free online photography class where you'll learn three easy pro tricks that will help you start taking better photos this week. To reserve your free seat, just head to amyandjordan.com slash class to choose a date and time that works for your schedule. Again, that's amyandjordan.com slash class. We're so excited to share three of our favorite pro secrets that will help you start taking better photos this week. We can't wait to see you in class. Now back to the episode. 
So another thing that we did is when we were still pregnant, we realized that I had been nursing Beckett all the way through. So when I found out I was pregnant, I was still nursing Beckett. And because of that, Jordan and I had never done an overnight away from Beckett. So we realized, okay, when the new baby comes, we're going to want a few days, which we talked about um, in uh, in, a, in a different episode. I'm trying to remember which one. My parent brain You're sleep-deprived. Don't yeah. try to remember that. <laughs> Just, it's I, on iTunes. Trust me. It's somewhere in there. <laughs> but we realized we wanted a few days of transition time. So we realized, okay, Beckett probably needs to practice sleeping at someone else's house because he had never done that before. So we did overnights with each one of our moms. So he got to go to each one of grandma's houses. And we're just so blessed to have both parents in our home state within 30 minutes of driving. It is one of those funny things. There is definitely a shift, right? Because when you're in high school, even maybe middle school, you're like, get me out of my house, (laughs) right? Can anybody, I mean, I'm not saying, mom, if you're listening, I didn't actually think that, but I'm just saying other teenagers like like every other teenager except for me and Amy were the ones were the ones who thought get me out of this house like I'm so grown up my parents are so lame like they don't know they just don't know they're not cool anymore blah 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 and you want out of the house right and then you get to college and you cry the first day the first night in your dorm because you miss home and then you kind of like settle into college life and you're like this is awesome you come back and visit over the holiday and you're like Because someone's telling you what to do again and you were used to living in the dorm by yourself. And then this funny thing happens when you get have kids is all of a sudden you want your mommy and daddy again. Yes. And you're so thankful for their help and presence. And so, so that's definitely yeah, the stage so that we're in. If you're a parent, like just like public service announcement, if you're a parent and you have children between the ages of like 18 and 25 and they're not married with kids yet and they're they going, will come back. They will come back. Don't worry. <laughs> they They'll will, be there. They will. They will be begging for childcare. They will realize what a treasure you are in <laughs> only a matter of time. So Beckett did some overnights, which was so nice for us. And it was kind of like a mini baby moon for us in a way. We just did really quick, like two, I think like 24 to 48 hour trips. Man, for- we went to Vegas. Yeah. Which sounds exciting. It wasn't, we were like the people that went to bed at like 10 o'clock and then we woke up at 6 a.m. because of our body clocks and we were like, oh, nothing happens in Vegas at 6 a.m. I just want to give we everybody. We were the only people in the breakfast restaurant. That's what yeah. I remember. I'm not like a PSA guy, but I'm giving my second PSA of this episode and that's public service announcement. If you guys ever want an amazing time, go to Las Vegas, stay in, in one of the one of the hotels. Obviously, you're going to stay in a hotel and then just get a day pass to the spa. Amy and I, for like 20 bucks each, got to spend all day at the spa and you don't have to pay for a treatment. I mean, I probably ate $20 worth of chocolate covered cherries <laughs> in there and you get uh, you can get all the newspapers, you can watch TV. I mean, it was fantastic. It was like the best 48 hour baby moon that yeah. we could not have planned. Because we, we are not Vegas people. No, you're certainly not. <laughs> um, and another thing that we tried to do as much as possible before Emily came was we started to talk to Beckett about the things that he was going to be able to do and help with that the baby, his sister, wouldn't be able to do because we didn't want him to revert back to like wanting to be the baby, but instead to be proud to be the older sibling. So things like baby Emily is only going to be able to drink milk, but you get to have all kinds of food. You get to have chicken and hummus and, you know, we'd uh, cookies and whatever. Things I was going to say chicken.
chicken and hummus. He, Exciting. Yeah. I mean, he does really like chicken and hummus. That's true. He doesn't know any different. <laughs> but, you know, we would come up with things that he could do, like, you can help us get the diapers. You can help us, you know, and those were those were things that he was seeing in his books, too. So all of those things together, I think, helped prepare him as much as possible. But of course, he's a toddler and he doesn't understand that his life is about to be rocked forever. Um, one of the other quick changes that we decided to make last minute was we decided to change the nursery, which was Beckett's nursery, from uh, all gender neutral. So it was like whites and creams. We added some pops of pink, which was like a last minute nesting decision, which we explained in a different episode. Um, so we actually linked in the show notes uh, the ways that we did that, just like the simple, quick ways that we changed the nursery without like redoing the whole nursery so that it felt like it was for a new baby, but didn't cost very much and made it feel like it was a new space. So that was like one more thing to involve Beckett in. And he would say pink stuff. And he actually really liked finding pink stuff for baby Emily. Yeah, something else that we did, you know, right now we're getting really close to Emily being born and something that we did right that we tried to do in the 20 or 30 weeks from the time we found out we were pregnant um, to the time that she was born is we tried to do as many things as we could as a family of three. Uh, we actually have a photo of all three of us plus Emily in the belly um, the night before Emily was born. And we were all at the park together when you could go to the park as we're yeah. recording this parks are still closed because of coronavirus. And so yeah. um, we, we were at the park together and it, we, I love those videos and those photos of us together at the park because it was such a sweet memory. There's definitely this kind of like emotional, uh, thing. I don't even know what to call it because I'm sleep deprived, but this kind of like emotional, like paradox, I guess yeah. is what it is. Because on the one hand, we, you're so kind of sad those final days right before the second baby was born. We were so sad to be kind of losing that family of three season. And we knew like, this is it. Like there will never, ever again be just the three of us. But we were also so excited to have another baby and to, and to have a sister for Beckett and to become a family of four. Um, and so one of the things that we've just tried to do as much as possible uh, in, in this parenting season and journey that we've been on for the last three years is to really do our very best to live in the moment and love the moment that's right in front of us and appreciate mm. it for all that it is while also being excited for what's ahead and trying not to be fearful about what we're losing because in our experience, and again, we've only been at this for three years, but in our experience, it just keeps getting better mm. and better. We have this conversation, uh, don't we, about Beckett all the time where mm. we look back at videos of him from look, a, he only had two teeth right, or right. look he didn't have any hair and, and now can, he has a few and hairs i can remember crying i can remember cry, i've only cried a few times that I, i've cried more <laughs> as as we've had kids in the but last like two to three years than like the whole 15 16 years that i've known you ever and i remember it just makes us weepy it makes you weepy and one of the things i i cried about is when beckett started to get teeth one of the things that i i, I cried over that because i i said to you it's he's never going to have that gummy smile again. <laughs> and what's funny is that now that he has his full set of teeth, I love his <laughs> smile with teeth. And I look back, at, look back at the gummy smile and it's like not as cute as I remember it, right? Yeah. So I think there's definitely that element of parenting. So we wanted to try to soak up that time as a family of three. And also as a couple, because we knew that pretty soon our life was going... Once I finally... Beckett finally weaned from nursing, it was like this freedom we'd never experienced before where we could go on overnight 
nights for the first time. And we really went on like overdrive date nights, date mornings, like date breakfasts, date lunches, <laughs> date dinners. We were, our babysitter was probably like, yeah, <laughs> because we were just like texting her constantly like, hey, are you available? Hey, are you available? Hey, are you available? But It's almost I'm, like we prepaid her because she wasn't <laughs> going to get paid during coronavirus. Yeah, which we <laughs> couldn't have known, of course. But I think going out into the world as much as you can, because we really do believe once you have a newborn, the best place to be is just in the house. It is so stressful leaving the house. And we wanted to feel like, you know what, if we don't leave the house for the next 12 weeks, we're good. We're okay. So we hadn't seen a movie since before Beckett was born. And all of a sudden, like the month before uh, Emily came, we were we like, were regulars. we were like, oh my gosh, we should go to movies. And then we went to one and we were like, this is awesome. We should do this again. <laughs> and so we started going to movies and started going on dates a lot more regularly. And just even going out of the house to go to home goods, to pick out stuff for the nursery, just trying to be out, out, out. Yeah, as much I don't as know about could. you guys, like for the parents listening, like Amy and I are not take the kids to restaurant people. No. Like, I mean, I don't know. Like, it just feels like you're paying to be stressed. To be stressed. <laughs> I'm like salt shaker, <laughs> like, you know, like sugar packets, right? Yeah. It's like, okay, I'm going to take him for a walk while you order and nurse yeah. her. And, oh, no There's thanks. only so many Melissa and Doug water wow toys that will last so long, you yeah. know, before you're like, oh my gosh, get me out of here. It's like, we're gonna if we're going to go spend 50 bucks on a nice dinner, like we are not bringing those little monsters with us. <laughs> I love you monsters. <laughs> we do love our monsters. So let's talk a little bit now about labor because that was kind of a lot of the stuff that we did pre-labor to kind of like Mm. prepare Beckett and kind of get him ready for being a big brother. But tell me a little bit, Aim, about I guess I feel like an interviewer now. Tell me now, Aim. But let's talk a bit a little bit about our labor and how that went and what our plan was for that. Yeah. As far as it pertains like Beckett. To transitioning. Yeah. Yeah. Because we have a whole episode about what the Emily's birth story was like. But as far as like planning when you already have a child, I think the main thing for us was we didn't want Beckett to know when we went into labor because we didn't want him to associate getting banished from the house for a few days with the new baby or imagining like a new baby. Baby, like he's being it replaced. just reminded me of that line from uh, what was that show we used to love to watch Project Runway yeah. and Heidi Klum would be like in fashion one day you're in the and next day you're, you're out, out. Yeah, we didn't want Beckett to feel like he was out. It's like, Beckett, one day you're in, the next day you're out. Go to grandma's. Yeah. so And he loves going to grandma's house. It is his favorite place in the world. So he doesn't need a reason to go to grandma's house, right? So we were like, you're going to grandma's house. Well, really, what I mean, when you went into labor with Emily, it was like, you're going to grandma's house. The baby could be here any second. Get out. Go, go, go. So we, what was most important to us is that we didn't want Beckett to know that the baby was being born, basically, so that he could just go to grandma's house and not have to imagine him being replaced. So that gave us a few days to recover from the birth and just get a groove of having a newborn baby again. And you know, and one thing I just want to mention, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I want to make sure that we make this super clear. If you are going to send your toddler to grandma's house or somebody else's house while your other baby is being born, it's really important to communicate to grandma and grandpa or whoever's watching. Oh, yes. Do not tell the toddler, yeah. the baby was born because yeah. we obviously, you know, in the two days or three days that Beckett was at grandma's house, grandma and grandpa came over, right? A neighbor watched Beckett at yeah. their house while right. grandma and grandpa came over to meet the new baby. Right. Grandma and grandpa were getting pictures. We were FaceTiming with grandma and grandpa when Beckett was asleep, but we made sure that whoever was watching him didn't tell him the baby had been born because we didn't want him to think that he had been replaced or that he had missed out or whatever. Yeah. So now I think we should just talk a little bit about the 
things that we decided to do to introduce the two kids. And again, a lot of this was us trying to uh, prevent Beckett feeling like he was out <laughs> as far as uh, one day you're in, the next day you're out. That's never going to get old. <laughs> no. I mean, maybe to other people, but not to us. (laughs) So we wanted Beckett to be able to have a normal introduction back into the house. So we had to plan this a little bit in advance and we had Jordan's sister help us with this. So we had to make sure that Jordan's sister was the one helping us and inside the house so that we could do this, right? Because you actually need a third adult or this just wouldn't work. And and we actually got this from some friends of ours who had like four kids in five years. And Mm -hmm. so they were pros (laughs) at introducing like the 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 existing children to the new baby. Yes. And one of the things they said to us, this was before we even had kids, just when they were introducing their new babies, their children to their new babies, they said, it's really, really important to us that the ba- that the toddler doesn't feel like he or she is being replaced by the baby. It's really important that the messaging to the toddler is the baby is here and the baby is joining, joining our family. Yeah, the baby is joining us us, right? It's not not the the other other way way around. around. Jinx. Oh, Jinx. You're out. (laughs) Oh my goodness. She's blushing. And I haven't even made a joke about you know what in this whole episode. That's so true. But I'm just saying, husbands, pre-baby, date nights, bound chicka, wow, wow. Oh boy. Make it happen because it doesn't happen. You know what I mean? Make it happen. Okay, there it goes. Yeah, it was about time for you (laughs) to reference. 27 minutes in, boom. Wow. Is that a record? Self-control and discipline is what that is. Oh, wow. I really admire your self-control. You know what? See me for who I'm becoming. (laughs) We just talked about this on the last episode, right? Or two. I tell people all the time, why why is Amy such a good wife? And I say, because she sees me not for who I am, (laughs) but for who I'm becoming. 27 minutes without a joke. That is like 26 (laughs) minutes of patience That's compared true. to last episode. You are the most self-controlled, disciplined person I know. Stand with me on this, guys. Okay, stand <laughs> with me. So because we wanted that messaging of <clears throat> your baby sister is joining our family and not the other way around, we basically had Jordan's sister hide Emily in another room. So she was holding Emily in another room, having a little anti-time. So Amy topped her off first. FYI. Oh, yes. Yes. So she was well practically fed. speaking. Yeah. No, it is really important that we we were hoping as much as possible. Of course, you can't plan for everything, but we were like, it would be really nice if she's not like screaming her head off crying when Beckett needs her because that would make me... Like, Beckett, our family has changed forever. <laughs> yeah. He might be like, get this thing out of the house. So I nursed Emily, gave her to Kaylin, Jordan's sister, and then... We had time with Beckett where it was just completely normal. We welcomed him back from grandma's, asked him about his time with grandma. We read some books with him. He showed us some crafts he made. We just had really special quality time for maybe 10 or 15 minutes. It wasn't super long, but long enough where it just felt really normal. So then he was in the room with us. And then we said, Beckett, we have some really exciting news. And he was like, chicken and hummus? (laughs) We were like, no. (laughs) And we were like, your sister is was born. She's here. Baby Emily is here. And he's, I said, do you want to see her? Do you want to meet her? And he started to, his eyes kind of got wider and he smiled a little bit. And he, he was, was like, like, do I, do I want to meet yeah. her? <laughs> so Jordan left the room, got Emily. I stayed in bed with Beckett. And then 
Jordan brought Emily to me and Beckett in the bed so that she was joining us and joining our family. And so Beckett got to see her for the first time and we really didn't know how he was going to react. And it was actually... I That's think, why I was holding her in case he decided to make her a torpedo. Yeah. And I remember he, he has this thing where he loves to hold real produce, like a real orange or a real apple. Do or- your kids have weird behaviors <laughs> like that? Like our son is obsessed. With our oranges. neighbors have some oranges that grow over our wall and he is obsessed with, with picking oranges, oranges, picking oranges. And, and then he wants to hold them and carry them around. Yeah, I mean, He packs them in his di- in our diaper bag. <laughs> every time I go to unpack a bag or a diaper bag, there's like seven or eight rocks and like an avocado <laughs> or like an orange. And I'm like, where did you get this? I remember this? getting a text from my mom that was like, did you know there's an avocado in the diaper bag? And I was like, yep, that's normal. Yeah, that's his pet. Sorry. (laughs) So anyway, he had this orange that he was obsessed with right around the time that Emily was born. And so there was like this fear of like, oh, no, is he going to take the orange and try to chuck it at Emily? So we were like on high alert. But anyway, Emily came into the room and Bex was actually so sweet. He got like a big, excited look on his face. And (laughs) little did he know. (laughs) (laughs) And actually reminds me of the same face he made a lot when I was pregnant. We used to say, Bex, are you? going to be a big brother? And we would say it with like big eyes and a lot of excitement to show him how exciting it was to be a big brother. Wait, can I just pause for one second? Because you're a former elementary school teacher. Yeah. And so sometimes you just gloss over like tone and intonation. Yeah. But one of the things that we know about children of like zero to 10, okay, yeah. but it's really all humans, yeah. is that you communicate like 60% non-verbally, mm-hmm. but also like with your facial expressions yeah. and stuff, but also the tone of your voice really goes a long way to telling a kid, is this good or is this bad? So there's a big difference yeah. between being like, Bex, are you going to be a big brother? And Bex, you going to be a big brother? Yeah. I mean, really, like when we're <laughs> no, talking about sure. like how to like train our children. Which goes with everything. To like, like something. Bex, are we going to have broccoli tonight? And he's like, and he's like, <laughs> and he's like, yeah, broccoli. Like, and I think if I said to him, Bex, are we going to have broccoli or do you want ice cream? <laughs> I think that he might literally have to think about it for a second because he's like, wait, what does dad want me but to say? But now that he's had ice cream, he'd probably be like, no, no, this he'd be is like, a trick. He'd be like, no. <laughs> So we used to say a lot when I was pregnant, Bex, are you going to be a big brother? And he would go, oh, and make like this gasped, excited face. I used to post it a lot on Instagram because it was just the cutest thing. And he kind of made that same face when he saw her for the first time. And it didn't last long. He honestly probably had an attention span for her that lasted a minute, maybe two minutes. He got really excited to hold her. He got a big smile on his face. And we took a few pictures. And pretty soon he was like doing somersaults and jumping around the bed and didn't really care very much that she was in the room anymore. But for this brief, sweet moment, he was really excited to be a big brother. Oh, and one of the things I almost forgot to mention is we planned in advance for baby Emily to give a gift to Beckett. Of course, Beckett isn't at the stage where he can realize like it's absurd that a baby could bring a gift to a toddler, right? But we planned for her to give like this cute little barn with these barn animals that Beckett's really into barn animals right now so that he could have something where, you know, if Emily was nursing, we could pull it out and be like, oh, Beckett, it's time for you 
you to play with your gift from baby Emily because he's in a season where he can actually attach who gave him a gift. And so just the idea that instead of him bringing a gift to her, we had her bring a gift to him, almost like, thank you for being my big brother. And I'm excited to join the family. Anytime he was playing with that barn, those barn animals, yeah. I would say, buddy, who brought you that gift? And he would look at me and smile and go, baby Emily. <laughs> We'll continue to talk more about that in just a minute. But first, if you're anything like us, before you buy something online, you research to no end, which is why we're so grateful when people we know and trust recommend something they already use and love. That's why we created a list of all our favorite things just for you. Everything on this list is something we use and love in our everyday life, from baby products and cleaning products to our favorite books, our kids' favorite toys, and so much more. All our recommendations are in one place, and they're just one click away. To see the complete list and start shopping now, head to amyandjordan.com slash favorites. Again, that's amyandjordan.com slash favorites. When you make a purchase using one of our links, it doesn't cost you extra. Sometimes it even saves you money. And it's an easy way to help support the show. Now back to the episode. And then from there on, I think one of our number one goals as far as Beckett was concerned was just trying to care for his heart as much as possible because it was a huge transition for him, the biggest change that's ever happened in his life. And so we knew, especially because he turned two, I think four days after Emily, four or five days after Emily was born, that we were entering the quote unquote terrible twos and that toddler phase at the same time that the new baby was coming. So that that phrase that we think is really wise that people always say when they find out they're having a baby and they're talking about like surviving postpartum life, everyone always says, sleep when the baby's sleeping, which is really good advice. We actually shared that advice in our surviving postpartum episode. It's a lot harder to quote sleep when the baby's sleeping when your toddler wakes up at 6 a.m., right? <laughs> because, you know, you, let's say you nurse your newborn at 4 a.m. or 5 a.m. And then on the monitor you hear, Mommy, daddy, come get me, please. Come get me, please. <laughs> Which is what we hear in the mornings. You're like, oh my goodness, we're about to start an entire day with an, a toddler who has peak amount of energy from the moment he wakes up to the moment he goes down. I mean, if sleep. I went to bed at 7.30 and slept until 6.30, I would have peak energy. <laughs> and so we realized, okay, sleep when the baby's sleeping is going to be a lot harder this time. So we needed support in a completely different way. I feel like the first time around, we were so thankful for meals. And we were so thankful for meals the second time around too. But we realized one of the best things we could do is ask for help. And when people asked us, hey, what can we do? How can we help? Can we bring you a meal? We would say, oh my gosh, that would be so sweet. You know what would also be so helpful? Do you mind taking Beckett to the park for one hour? That would be so helpful because then we can take a nap. And trying to to find little moments throughout the day to nap and having special one-on-one time with Beckett and Grandma, Beckett with Auntie, Beckett with a, a friend from our small group, whoever it might be who was in Beckett's life that could help us have a little bit of time to sleep, that one little half-hour nap. Is magic is magic and helps you tolerate all the toddler emotions that are going on at the same time because there's a lot you're trying to balancing at once. You're taking care of this new little baby who has a lot of needs. and Physical then, needs. Yeah, physical needs. And then your toddler has a lot of emotional needs and just attention needs. So it was definitely a dance for us of trying to like figure Everybody's out. just a hot mess at the same time. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> but I remember for us, we even had, you know, in one of our previous podcast episodes, we talk about our daily schedule from the time we get up to the time we go to bed 
what does our day look like? And when we record, totally different now. And we recorded that episode. I remember during that episode saying, we know this is going to change because you were pregnant, right? When we have a second baby. And one of the most, like one of the biggest ways that it changed is that, and this is like a sports analogy for you guys out there. We went from playing zone defense to playing man to man. And what I mean by that is as it pertains to sleep, when you have a newborn that's getting up for a feed at like 4 a.m. and then your wife is going back to bed and then your toddler's waking up at 6 or 6 30 Beckett's routine used to be me going and getting him and bringing him into bed with us Mm -hmm. to start his day reading books in bed with mom and dad that had to completely change because if Amy was able to fall back asleep around 4 30 or 5 in the morning and get another couple hours of sleep before Emily had to be fed again it was really important that Beckett not go in the room and interrupt that sleep because those one or two hours of sleep at a time are precious at my precious (laughs) I don't know why I said that I'm not even the rings fan that's something that we taught Beckett. oh yeah beckett says my precious because i call emily hi my precious oh. girl and he started repeating precious girl precious. and now he says it like gollum so dad so, gollum? gollum i the think ring, i don't know rings. correct us we're not lord of the rings We've, i don't even know if i've ever seen lord of the rings but i do know about my precious my precious <laughs> So anyways, Bex and I had to start a new routine because the first couple days that Emily was home, when I would go get him, the first thing he would say when I would get him out of his crib is, go see mama, read books, go see mama, read books, because that had been his routine for like two years. Mm. And so the thing I had to say to him and try to set his expectation that first morning was, hey, buddy, and I might have even done it the night before, I can't remember, but hey, buddy, like mommy and baby Emily are sleeping so we're going to go and you're going to read books with daddy this morning. And the first time I said that, he was like, no, no. <laughs> oh, and I realized I had made a mistake. And the mistake was telling him, you don't get mama. Mm. Instead, you get dada. You get margarine, right? <laughs> like you don't get butter. You get you don't get Kerrygold Irish butter from Costco. <laughs> you get margarine. You get fake butter. You get avocado oil butter. I'm I just love kidding. how Jordan slipped in from Costco. Because if you know. Because <laughs> that's premium. That's the best. Yeah. At you, the best price. If, if you know how much Jordan loves Costco. The highest compliment he can give is comparing me to a Costco product. Yeah, that's exactly right. You are. (laughs) Thank you. You're a beautiful Costco product. Thank you. I see you for who you're becoming. Thank you. (laughs) There is no price. That's the thing. There's no price that that we could put on you. Wow. Thank you. Anyways, back to the show. So I realized I made a mistake. And so I rephrased it and said the next day, because we had kind of a tough morning that first morning. I rephrased it the next day. And before he went to bed that night... I said, hey, buddy, in the morning, remember, mommy and baby Emily are going to be sleeping when you wake up, but we're going to have super fun guy time. Guy time. And he looked at me and I was like, guy time. Go back to that intonation. (laughs) Hey, Bex, we're going to have guy time. I was like, guy time. It's going to be awesome. Bex, what do you want to do in the morning with our guy time? (laughs) And he was like, play in the playroom. And I was like, we should do that. (laughs) Right. And so we got into this routine after a little while where every morning when I would go get him, the first thing he would say wasn't mama or baby Emily or books. He would say, guy time. Mm -hmm. And I would say, let's go do guy time. What do you want to do? And we got into a routine where we would go downstairs. We would have a routine where we would open all the blinds together and we would turn on our morning music and I would make him breakfast. But you might be thinking, this doesn't sound fun to toddlers, but a lot of it is about like the branding and the catchy title, right? branding and catchy title. Guy time, Jordan, just spending quality time with him. And we realized that we do have an incredible privilege of working at home together. So this might not be possible for all families, right? To have two parents at home during the newborn stage. Hopefully most families can have at least a few days of transition time, if not a couple of weeks. I know more and more businesses are allowing for paternity leave as well to give that 
families that much needed transition time. So we know this might not be possible for all families, but we feel so thankful to be able to play this like man on man, one on one, where I was in charge of Emily and Beckett wasn't, or I just said Beckett was in charge of Jordan, which maybe isn't that incorrect. <laughs> it, it wasn't that incorrect. I can remember after we had gotten like an established routine of like opening the blinds and I would put him in his high chair and I would start making him breakfast. And if I didn't put on like the morning, like worship <laughs> tunes that we do every morning in our house, he would look at me and go, morning music. Aww. And he would look up at the speakers in the ceiling. Like, I why isn't the that. music playing? <laughs> morning music. So I think one of the, that was probably one of the biggest transition points was mostly just Jordan taking on more Beckett responsibilities than he maybe ever had before to allow me to have the time to take care of Emily and nurse her constantly and um, have a little bit more sleep in there. And I think like the, the, one of the most important things was just support, having support and help. And I, I think asking for help as much as possible and communicating in advance. And then I think like even in the sleep deprived moments where we're all exhausted, me being able to look at Jordan and be like, Hey, this means so much to me that you took Beckett for an hour. Thank you so much. And, and just I'm acknowledging like, points. <laughs> Jordan loves to rack up points. I'm like, do I, how many points do I get? She was like, it's so not about points. the points. And I'm like, no, no, but do I get points? I'm like, yeah, how many points do I get for birthing our baby? And I'm like, ah, <laughs> oh, the trump card. I hate the trump card. It's like, no matter what you do as a husband after your wife's had a baby, it's like, well, did you push a baby out of here? And I'm like, no, I didn't. Back to work. But one of the things that we did, kind of like on a more serious note, and we talked about this in the last in the last couple episodes, is that when you have a new baby and you have a toddler and now you're a family of four, there everybody's world got rocked mm -hmm. at the same time when you think about no it. No matter right? like, how much prep work you do. No, like mom's world got rocked because yeah. she pushed a baby out, right? Like the baby's world got rocked because the baby was in the nice comfy womb and is now on the outside, yeah. right? The mm -hmm. toddler's world got rocked because now he's not the only one getting the love and attention anymore. And dad's mm -hmm. world got rocked because for a lot of reasons we talked right. about in a previous episode. And so one of the things that we, in addition to having grace with each other in those mm -hmm. really hard moments, we had to make a decision in advance to try the very best that we could to be patient when Beckett had emotional turmoil. And mm -hmm. I would say that 99% of the time, he was his wonderful, great, normal self. Mm -hmm. But there was a good solid percent of the time where we started to notice behaviors almost immediately after introducing him to Emily. Mm -hmm. And I can remember all of us laying on the bed together that first morning. And all of a sudden, he stands up and starts doing somersaults on our bed. Yeah. And he starts jumping on our bed. And he's looking at Amy mm -hmm. almost like, do you see me? Mm -hmm. I'm still here. Am I still important? Mm -hmm. And we started to notice yeah. in those first couple of weeks, certain behaviors like that, where he was just trying to get our attention. And it wasn't necessarily bad, but we could tell, okay, he's emotionally like really going through something. And I think one of the things that we've really, really tried hard as parents, and we're imperfect. Sometimes <laughs> I raise my voice to him. Sometimes we react to him. Sometimes we are just, we, you know, we're parents, right? We all have those mm. moments that we wish we could take back. And I don't really think that being a parent is about like, is every moment of every day perfect? No. I think it's about how can we have more good moments and less bad moments mm. and try to make that gap as wide as possible. And so one of the things that we had to kind of come to in advance was he's emotionally wrecked right now. He's going through something that's really hard. And I even said to Amy, I was like, it would almost be like if all of a sudden 
I came home one day and Amy had a different guy <laughs> and was like, okay, Jordan, like, welcome, meet so and so. We're a family of three now. And I would want to claw his eyes out, right? But, and, but, but imagine like not having a choice in the matter. Like, yeah. that's maybe an extreme analogy, but yeah. there's a little bit like, but uh, it is kind of what happened. It is kind of like you were his yeah. girl, right? Yeah. Like, you, you know, yeah. You know and, or, and, yeah, you were his girl. Yeah. And all of a sudden now he's sharing you mm-hmm. with somebody else, but doing more than sharing because the newborn is getting more than 50% of the attention, right? right. That's and- a dramatic swing. I remember one of the first things, because the, the really interesting thing is Bex would love baby Emily. And the, we keep saying baby Emily because that's what he calls her. He never calls her just Emily. It's always baby Emily. It's like her first name and her middle name, baby Emily, baby Emily. So he would say like, want to see her, like want to wake her up, baby Emily, want to play. And so like there was the really sweet part of that. And then he would also like, if I was nursing Emily, he would say, baby Emily in the way, want to move her, give baby Emily to Dada <laughs> was one of his most common phrases and still is. He'll still be like, yeah, want to put her away. <laughs> and he still does the no whisper. So I'm like, Hey, hey, bud, do you want to read a book as a family? And he's like, no. <laughs> yeah. And he'll say, no, just mama. Or just mama. Mama only. And so, of course, like as a mom, this just melts my heart and makes me feel so loved. And I, it's so sweet how much he wants that one-on-one time. And I feel, I think we both feel fortunate that Bex is able to communicate in his little toddler way how important quality time is to him because it's a great reminder for us how important it is to prioritize. So, of course, the first week, just from like a physical capacity, I wasn't able to go upstairs in the playroom with him and get on the ground and do the things that I normally do with him because I was still recovering. But as soon as my midwife cleared me to walk up the stairs and there was probably two or three, I think it was maybe two weeks where I wasn't cleared to carry him. And I didn't realize how hard that was on him until I was cleared. And I said, buddy, mama can carry you again. And he would say, mama carry you. Yay. And he's still, we're 12 weeks in. And when I pick him up, he's still saying, mama carry you. Yay. And I realized how much he was missing that physical interaction and that one-on-one time that he was getting constantly before Emily was born. So when we were pregnant, we started uh, coming up with this phrase, quote, me and you time. And it happened because Jordan went to Costco, his favorite place on the planet. And so he was gone from the house and Beckett was asking, where's Dada? Some people are like, we're going to Disneyland. I'm like, I'm going to Costco. (laughs) And so I was like, hey, buddy, Dada's at Costco. So we're going to have me and you time. And I would point to myself and point to him, point to myself, point to him and say me and you time and point back and forth and point back and forth and say me and you time. And again, kind of those like branded catchy titles, it really stuck. And so now the beautiful thing is Bex actually asks for me and you time. He'll say, want to do me and you time in playroom? Want to do me and you time? Give baby Emily to dada. (laughs) And so as soon as I was physically able, we tried to make sure that every single day we had Beckett, me and you time between just me and Beckett where Jordan would take Emily so that Beckett could have a little bit of one-on-one time. And she doesn't move. So I love, I love me and you time with baby Emily. Yeah. Like baby Emily, you sit in the bouncer, dad, dad watches TV. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but that me and you time has become really important in our new life as parents of two. And I think it's probably something we'll try to continue as long as we possibly can, because that quality time, we see such a difference when he gets me and you time and when he doesn't get me. And yeah, you time. And there were some hard moments for Beckett emotionally. And one thing I just want to say is Beckett, if you are listening to this, 
as a teen or as an adult, mm-hmm. your mom and I are so proud of you. Yeah. I still love saying that your yeah. mom and I, it feels like something I'm not old enough. Like I shouldn't be allowed to say, yeah. but your mom and I are so proud of you, buddy, because you did an amazing job of being a big brother and mm-hmm. welcoming your sister into our family. Um, but I will say there were still some moments, some really hard emotional moments that we could tell Beckett just didn't know. He didn't even know what he was feeling Mm -hmm. and he couldn't name it. And what would happen is sometimes he would just start to cry. Mm -hmm. He would just out of nowhere. And it was like, whoa, he would just start to cry. And usually when he would start to cry and I would go over or Amy would go over and we'd say, buddy, what's wrong? The way that we knew it was linked or related to baby Emily and the emotion surrounding that is he would say something completely irrational. So mm-hmm. remember we told you earlier in the episode that he like loves collecting fruit. <laughs> so all of a sudden he would just start sobbing. I'd be like, buddy, buddy, what's wrong? What's wrong? And he would go, want to hold my orange? Want to hold orange? <laughs> and just cry. And I was like, buddy, are you upset because you want to hold your orange? And he would go, yes. But substitute orange for my world just got rocked yeah. and I don't know how to process it. 100%. And he would do that all the time. He's got this little white robe that we put on him after he gets out of the out of the bath at night that was given to us as a gift by a neighbor. And some days he would just go, want to wear a robe, want to wear a robe. And I was like, buddy, like, do you just want to put your robe on? Would that solve this? And he's like, yes. But that we knew that wasn't actually what was going no. on. And so his little body and brain just couldn't process the big emotions. And we tried to re- read quite a few parenting books before Emily came and then continued to listen to them on Audible after Emily yeah, came. I mean, we didn't know what we were doing. So we'll no, steal ideas from yeah, people who we're do. Like, if we can learn from people who are wiser and have more experience, we are all for that anytime in any category of our life, especially with parenting. And so we've read quite a few books from Meg Meeker. We're actually going to link in the show notes, the parenting books that we, that we've just been living by our like top favorite parenting Guys, books. two words. I think I did this on a previous episode and I'm doing it again. Meg Meeker. America's mom. She's awesome. Some of the best. I was going to say the most bomb parenting books, but then I was like, what is this? Like 2001? Like, are we back to like midriff? Are we back to like midriffs and bleached hair? And then Meeker is (laughs) debomb.com. But we, uh, one of the things I read in her books was that, especially with little boys, that a lot of times, Boys, boys and girls need to be taught how to name their emotions and identify their emotions because that's the first step in being able to separate emotions and feelings from actions. Meaning like, I'm angry, therefore I'm going to bite you. I'm angry, therefore I'm going to hit you. I'm angry. You know, the, basically that if we don't teach our kids how to separate their feelings and their actions, then the impulse comes and they bite. And we had a biting season with Bex where... Oh, we'll do an episode about the biting season. Yeah, that'll be it. You'll just see it. It'll come into your email in your inbox, or you'll see it on iTunes. Like the biting season. <laughs> like what is that? Or or maybe we should maybe we should call that episode this season bites. So- <laughs> There are so many dad jokes. Joke. So many jokes. I appreciate your dad jokes. I see you for who you're becoming. So when I read that with Meg from Meg Meeker, she was basically saying the most important thing we can do as toddlers is when our, when our kids are toddlers is to help them identify their emotions. So every time Beckett would cry or be upset, we would say, Beckett, 
you're feeling sad. Are you feeling sad? Or Beckett, are you feeling mad? Are you feeling angry? And we would start saying that every time we sense, are you feeling frustrated? Are you feeling disappointed? And early on, he didn't usually respond. Like right. if we would say, are you feeling mad? Sometimes he, when early, early on, he would just look at us. Right. And now it's crazy Over because he'll say, yeah, a he year, responds. a year later, yeah. you know, I was just reading a book with him this morning and I didn't even tell you this. So we're having like yeah. a parenting discussion, like live on the podcast, <laughs> but I, I was reading with him and there we turned the page and there were a bunch of people who were sad. It was like a, pic- yeah. a, a story. There was a story about somebody reading a scary like campfire story yep. and everyone's faces and Beckett pointed and goes, they look scared. Yeah. And I was like, buddy, they are scared. You're right. And I realized that a lot of him being able to recognize, like to empathize mm-hmm. and recognize feelings in other people just from their facial expressions mm-hmm. is because when he was that way, Amy was so good at getting down on his level, putting him on your lap, saying, hey, buddy, are you feeling mad? Are you feeling frustrated? And over time, he did start to name those emotions because we would ask him, are you feeling blank? And sometimes he would say no. Mm-hmm. Or are you feeling blank? And he would say yes. Mm-hmm. And yeah, use. pictures and storybooks, that's been something I've tried to do a lot with Bex is pointing to pictures of people's and faces and saying, oh, he looks worried. Why does he look worried? Oh, he looks sad. Why does he look sad? And I I think combining this idea from Meg Meeker with another book that we loved, No Drama Discipline, helped so much. It's from the same author as The Whole Brain Child. And we it's uh, two authors um, that like teamed up and wrote both books, The Whole Brain Child and No Drama Discipline. Can I just interrupt and say dad's I highly recommend these two books. And here's the reason why I think in general moms and maybe it's the 80, 20 rule, like 80% of moms are this way and only 20% of dads. But I feel like moms in general, because they birth the babies, they nurse the babies. They are a lot more patient. Like Amy is a, Amy, you are a lot more patient (laughs) and sweet and empathetic and understanding trying to figure out like, okay, you're being a a crazy psychotic demon right now. What's going on inside your heart and how can I shepherd your heart in a way that is grace filled? And I feel like as a dad, I don't know if it's like the primal, like male instinct or if I'm making an excuse for myself, but there is this instinct on the part of the dad when you see the kid doing something wrong to just be like, Hey, it's almost like if I I raise my voice um, or whatever. If I act like, you know, like, like I'm the dad, like I'm the Papa bear, like I'm Mufasa, right. <laughs> then all of a sudden I can get the child to stop. And one mm-hmm. of the things that just blew my mind and maybe we should do an episode on like toddler yeah. discipline. Cause I feel like we've learned so much, so much from, that. from those two books yeah. and other resources. But for, for me and Beckett at really, that book really softened my heart to try to understand like what's going on inside the mind and the heart of my child. Because when I would raise my voice to Beckett, he would stop for a second, mm-hmm. but the emotional breakdown followed mm-hmm. and there was literally, it only made the situation worse. It only escalated it. It only made things more challenging between us as a married couple because mm-hmm. now I'm like, you know, there are very few times that I raise my voice with him now mm-hmm. only when he's in actual danger right. because I realize it's just not that effective. Um, and so we'll do an episode on that, but I just wanted to say that that book is super helpful for me as a man. It was really helpful. Um, I think I'm going to be naturally more sweet and loving toward Emily and I can't <laughs> explain that. It just is what it is. But especially with my son, I want to make sure that I'm not too hard on him and that I shepherd his heart the same way that Amy does and that he doesn't start to feel like dad is gets angry or dad gets mad or dad disciplines and mom is the sweet one. And so we corrected that relatively early on. And so those books are great. If you're a dad out there, I would highly recommend them. And you might you might read them. And as you're reading them, you might do what I did, which you're like, oh, come on. This is kind of mushy. This is kind of soft. This is kind of <laughs> academic. Like, you know, come on. We just got to parent them. Be tough. 
really like those books off in my heart. So mm-hmm. and really made a big difference. And when we started implementing the things that we were learning, like uh, connecting with his emotional, the right side of his brain first, even when it felt illogical, uh, really helped us then connect with the left part, the logic part of the brain and understanding how to connect to those two sides and how they integrate together makes a giant difference. So we can't recommend that enough. I think another thing that we've been trying to be as intentional as possible about is anytime Beckett exhibits any sweet sign of being a brother, like anything at all, we praise the heck out of him. So if um, like there's been so many mornings where Jordan will say, Bex, do you want to give your baby sister a kiss? And he'll be like, no. <laughs> but every once in a while... He'll, he'll do it and he'll say, yeah. And he'll give her a little tiny gentle kiss on the forehead. Like, back it, buddy. Oh that was goodness, so sweet. Bud. You're and such a good big brother. Eyes get really big and the tone of voice is basically like, you are the greatest thing that has ever walked the earth whenever he kisses baby Emily or sometimes he'll say, want to hold her. And anytime he says that, no matter what we're doing, we drop everything it goes back and to- let him quote unquote hold her. We'll put it her in his lap. We're of course supporting her head and everything. But And it normally honestly only lasts maybe 30 to 60 seconds. I try to grab a couple photos because I'm like, oh my gosh, my kids are together. Click, 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 click. But it's true. That's something that we've mentioned in a previous episode. We were talking about like childhood literacy and reading with your kids. It is not uncommon for me to find Amy and Beckett in random parts of the house <laughs> sitting on the floor. I walk in sometimes, they're on the bathroom floor reading books. And the philosophy behind that is anytime Beckett wants to do the right thing, like what we would consider the right thing, we stop everything to let him do the right thing. So sometimes Amy will be in the bathroom, like getting ready and he'll yeah. walk in with a book and say, mama, read to me. Yeah. And Amy goes, buddy, I would love to read to you. <laughs> and she sits down on the bathroom floor. I mean, I find them all over the house reading books because whenever he wants to do the right thing, we want to reinforce that. Yeah. And part of this idea of like this over the top, positive praise for us kind of goes back to our teaching days. And so before we were photographers, we were elementary school teachers. Amy taught fourth grade. I taught fifth grade. And one of the techniques that Amy taught me because she was the teacher first Mm -hmm. that she taught me is the difference in disciplining a classroom of children. If you have 25 kids in a classroom, you can choose positive reinforcement and positive praise or you can choose negative, right? Mm -hmm. And so the negative would look like you see a kid, let's call him Joe, Johnny. 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 That's like the perfect, like Johnny Joe, Johnny Joe. So you see Johnny and he's doing the wrong thing. You can say, Hey, Johnny, knock that off. That's enough. Stop that. And what it does is Johnny temporarily will stop. And then all the other kids are terrified of you because they're thinking, oh my gosh, is that going to be me next? And it also gives Johnny Joe a lot of attention, attention. which kids crave, crave. <laughs> crave attention. And so what Amy taught me to do instead as a teacher is, and I always think back to Sarah because Sarah <laughs> was like one of the sweetest girls in my <laughs> class. And so she sat right in the front row. We had so many sweet girls <laughs> for the record. For the record. There if, were lots of them. If our students, our former students are listening, there were so yeah. many sweet girls. If people. I could go back and like teach again, I would probably teach like an all-girls school because they were so sweet. They were such good listeners. The boys were like wild animals that we had to loved be you boys too. I loved you boys too, but there was a reason Mr. Demos did recess four times a day. <laughs> and anyways, when instead of being negative, when I would see one student doing something negative, instead what I would do is find a student who was doing something positive and praise them in front of the whole class. So I would say, Sarah, like imagine Johnny's like making noise in the corner. And I'm like, Sarah, 
I love the way that you're sitting so quietly and waiting for instructions. Here is, and I would give her like some kind of a prize, like a right? Here's a Demos dollar, which she could redeem for prizes. As soon as I positively praise Sarah, all 24 kids, including Johnny, did exactly what Sarah was doing because they wanted more than anything my attention. And so we realized that with our toddler, Becky, there's only one of him right now. Right. So there's only one to praise. So whenever we quote unquote catch him doing something great, we want to try to praise that and reinforce that as much as we possibly can, which includes even when he's doing something wrong and makes the wrong choice. And then we talk with him about it and then he makes the right choice. And then we throw a party like it was the best choice he ever made. And that's one of my favorite things that we talked about in a previous episode, but a parenting trick or tool that we learned is that uh, it was a psychologist that we learned this from who basically said, if you see your child doing the wrong thing and they do the wrong thing one time and you ask them to fix it two times, you ask them to fix it three times and you're asking them to do the right thing on the 10th time, if they finally do the right thing, instead of at that point, us looking at Beckett and being like, well, it only took you 10 times. Or like, good, you should do that. Good, you should do that. <laughs> it's about time. Instead, the psychologist said, no, it's the opposite. Once they do the right thing, you praise the heck out of them mm-hmm. for giving you the behavior. He goes, why would you be negative with them when they finally give you the behavior that you want? Mm-hmm. Instead, be positive with him. And then you reduce the 10 times to eight times, to six times, to four times, to two times. Mm-hmm. It was just great advice. That guy's a genius. So Emily has only been alive for 12 weeks but we've already seen so much improvement in that in that area. And we really believe it's because every time he does say something sweet or do something sweet um, that's positive toward Emily, we've been praising, 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 and he gets this big smile on his face and then he tries to do it again and again and again and again. And so now 12 weeks in, we're seeing a lot more positive behaviors than we were seeing on week one. Yeah, And just one other thing kind of on like toddler emotions, and this could probably apply whether you have a, t- a kid who's two, three, four, five. One of the things that I started doing with Beckett in, in part of our morning routine, our guy time was we got an Elmo puppet (laughs) and we started having what we called conversations with Elmo. And so one of Beckett's favorite things when he's eating breakfast or when we come downstairs and we sit on the couch in the morning, he says, have conversation with Elmo and I'll put the puppet on and I use the puppet to have Beckett explain his emotions Mm -hmm. to Elmo. Because sometimes, like I think even with little kids, but especially with teenagers, sometimes you aren't as forthcoming with the way that you feel to your parents as you are with a friend. Mm -hmm. And so what's really interesting is even though Beckett knows that Elmo isn't real, like he understands that it's a puppet. As soon as I put the puppet on and I'm like, Hey, Beckett, it's Elmo. That's Jordan's Elmo voice. I know. I'm going to get so many emails from people like, dude, your Elmo voice sucks. Okay. I don't know what that's the best I I can do. I, for the record, really appreciate your Elmo voice. Thank you. You see my Elmo voice for what it's becoming. But and I'm sitting there having a conversation with them and it's like, like, hey, it's Elmo. How'd you sleep last night, bud? And he's like, good. And I'll start asking him questions. And then I will sometimes ask him, like, you have a new baby sister. Is that exciting? And sometimes he'd be like, no. <laughs> right. And so I'd be like, oh, does that make you sad? Why do you feel sad? And I mean, he will he will share emotions mm-hmm. in a very like 
you Miss know, Mama. Yeah, Miss Mama. Oh, you miss your mama? Sometimes Elmo misses <laughs> Elmo's mama too. But that's okay. We can play together and see mama when she wakes up. And then he's totally fine, right? So I think sometimes just having like a friend, right, to like empathize. I know as silly as it sounds, it's really in a lot of ways been therapeutic for Beckett. Mm-hmm. And so we're sorry if that voice haunts your dreams in the middle of the night. But we hope it Elmo's be- not sorry. <laughs> we hope it'll be a good takeaway, even if it does uh, haunt you for the rest of your life. Um, one thing that kind of happened out of sheer luck and timing is that Emily was born on February 11th and Beckett's second birthday was on February 16th. So I obviously knew my, my due date was much earlier than February 11th, but um, I knew that Beckett's birthday was going to be soon after Emily's arrival. So I decided to plan for a very simple birthday party for Beckett uh, to celebrate his second birthday. And I planned the whole thing in advance, meaning I ordered everything online. He is really into The Hungry Caterpillar, that book by Eric Carle. We read it probably five or six times a day. He brings it around with him. He has these little uh, caterpillar figurines that he carries around everywhere with him. It's like most other guys' sons are like playing with like trucks <laughs> or playing with action figures and my kid's carrying around a caterpillar and a butterfly. In, the teacher in me is so <laughs> happy that he's latched on to like the classic children's book, Hungry Caterpillar, but he loves it to a degree that I just never even imagined possible. So we decided to do a Hungry Caterpillar birthday party for him. And so I ordered everything in advance and I didn't realize that I was going to be throwing a birthday party four days after Emily came because she came on the earth. Is that right? Five days after? I don't know. Sleep deprived math is just challenging for me right now. But several days after we decided to have his party on his real birthday and we only invited immediate family so that it would be really small and manageable because we just knew we wouldn't have the capacity to do like a big birthday party. So anyway, this all kind of happened by accident that it happened to be so soon after he met Emily. But I think it ended up being a beautiful accident that... We had a time to celebrate Beckett with the people that he loved the most in the world. We took a lot of photos and videos. And the weeks after that, he kept asking to watch them and watch them over and over. He would say, want to watch birthday party. And so we would watch it over and over and he'd get to see the people who loved him. And we would talk about the people who loved him and look at the pictures. Like if we had to do it all over again and Beckett's birthday was in like July... I'm throwing him a party the week that our baby is born. (laughs) Yeah, because I'm sure you're thinking like, well, that's great. My kid's birthday isn't anywhere near like when my kid is arriving. My second kid is arriving. The good thing is they don't know when their birthdays are and they have no concept of time. (laughs) Well, and it doesn't even even have to be a birthday party. I think the idea of like throwing like a almost like a little like celebration, like you're a big brother or you're a big sister celebration for the older toddler. I didn't even realize how much that was going to light him up and give him this cute confidence. you throw me a party? <laughs> You're a dad party. Yeah, I, I want an I'm a dad again party. <laughs> You're a dad again party. <laughs> there are so many jokes. I have so many jokes right now. And I'm I'm proud of you for holding them in I because am, that's who you're becoming. <laughs> that's who I'm becoming. <laughs> so you all just made that you all just made jokes in your head. There's a million jokes that you can make. <laughs> and let's leave it there. Let's I leave it there. I think that's a great place to leave it. And I think the last thing we just wanted to speak to is we honestly haven't had much practice leaving the house with both kids because um, at three weeks old, we've shared before, Emily got RSV and had uh, we had an overnight hospital stay with her for about four nights. And when we got back from that, we've been quarantined ever since. So we've been quarantined for 
over 75% of her life at this point. So we haven't really had many chances to go anywhere, but we did get to church twice before her hospital stay. And we realized very quickly that it was going to take us twice as long, maybe three times as long to leave the house because now we're trying to feed our toddler, get the newborn awake and nursed and changed, uh, pack two diaper bags instead of one, get two kids in the car seat instead of one. And so everything really did take twice as long. Meanwhile, Beckett's chasing me around the house. Have conversation with Elmo. I'm like, no, (laughs) not right now. I'm like, hey, it's Elmo. Elmo says time for church. Do what your dad says. Elmo's going to go take a nap now. Bye. You always hear those like church jokes of families like running around the house, like completely stressed, like stressed in the car. And then they get to church and are like, Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Um, and so there really was, we were trying to avoid the like frantic hustle as much as possible. So I remember we had a conversation like, okay, we're going to start getting ready for church 90 minutes before we have to leave. And it actually took us all 90 minutes. And we thought that we were going to have all this cushion time. We had zero cushion time. But it was busy. Like those 90 minutes were busy. But they weren't stressful. Right. Because I think we just had, I think there's something that happens when you go from one to two. And it's kind of like whenever you have a big change in your life, like you can either, and a lot of people are saying this right now with like the COVID-19 thing is like life is not necessarily going to ever go back to the way it exactly was. And the sooner that you accept Mm -hmm. that life is not the same, the happier that you are. And so I think one of the things that we just tried to accept in the first couple of weeks is our life with a two-year-old and a newborn is going to look really different for a few years. And mm-hmm. it's going to take 90 minutes to get out the house without, mm-hmm. I, I said, get out the house <laughs> to get out of the house without stress. And then by the time we get to church and we we're at church and we get home and we feed everybody who needs to be fed and get everyone down for naps, like that is a four or five hour kind of like start to finish ordeal. And I think one of the things that we have also kind of accepted is that no has got to become one of our new favorite words, not necessarily to our toddler, although I do like to tell him no, but just no to a lot of things that we used to be able to do. And it was easier to do. And we had more time and flexibility for yeah, but so time it, commitments outside the house. It's just not it's what like it used to be. We're doing church now. and we're not leaving the house the rest of the day. And it's a season and we, we want to embrace the season that we're in and not try to resent it. And I think having the perspective of how quickly Beckett has gone from this sweet newborn baby to where he is now it felt like it happened in the blink of an eye. And so we realized that everything is temporary and everything's a season and it's not going to last forever. And so for now, in this season where we have a two-year-old and a newborn... There's a lot of juggling. There's a lot of juggling and things take a lot longer and we have to say no to more social things than we maybe would like to, but we realize that it's the best way to preserve our and family like people joke, dynamic. Like people joke about like, oh, kids are the most convenient excuse. No, they're a legitimate excuse. (laughs) Like it really is a legitimate concern just trying to do anything. I think even like bath time and dinner time every night, it's a dance now. Uh, Emily will need to be nursed right in the middle of dinner. So I'm trying to nurse with one hand and then Beckett might need to go number two right in the middle of that. And so we have to stop everything and get him to the potty. The number of times that we have tried to sit down as a family for dinner and then something happens and all of a sudden we see each other two hours later. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Beckett has to, Beckett's like, got, have to go potty. And I'm like, we just sat down for dinner. Have to go potty now. Okay. And, and if then, you have a toddler, you know that number two can be a process and can take sometimes up to 30 minutes. So I'm like eating dinner on the bathroom floor while Beckett is sitting <laughs> on the potty, right? But sometimes that process of like, you know, the toddler wakes up from his nap at four. We start our dinner time routine now at around 530. 
And we don't finish like the dinnertime bed routine or bath time routine sometimes until like seven mm-hmm. or seven fifteen. And then by the time we get the toddler, get I said the toddler, like he's not a human, yeah, but Beckett. get Beckett down, <laughs> that's almost like a two to two and a half hour process for it not to be stressful. Mm-hmm. And uh, for, to, for us. it to be like the quality that we would like it to be as far as like reading books with him and having conversations at dinner time and trying to implement the things that are value and high priority to us, it does take about two to two and a half hours to do it, right? And so we realize we just don't have time for much else right now, but that is okay. And that's really a privilege. It's an honor to be their parents and it's an honor to get to steward them in this season. And we know it's not going to last forever. And we know there's a day when both of our kids will go to bed at the same time. And so we're going to make the most of what we've got while we got it. Yeah. And we've just seen so much growth in Beckett. And that's the main thing we want to leave you with today is that if you're in the transition from one to two, we have seen so much positive growth in Beckett in the last 12 weeks. I would, I would even go as far to say that the last six weeks, mm. the kind of second half of maternity leave, mm. Beckett has been the very best version of himself mm. that he's ever been. And mm-hmm. I think there's a, a story that you told me recently, Aim, that I think is a really good one to reiterate that kind of shows, you know, the growth that we've seen in him over a 12 week period of time from at first being really emotional and really jealous about having to share you, mm-hmm. which I would be emotional and jealous too. <laughs> I don't want to share you. Um, but then 12 weeks later, just the the growth that we're seeing in him. Yeah, just the other day, it was maybe one of my favorite moments that I'm going to write down in his baby journal. Um, I was nursing Emily and we had just gotten home from a doctor's appointment. It was really hot outside. So I had taken off all of her clothes except for her diaper. Oh man, I didn't I didn't know if that's where the story was going. And I was like, wait a second, you took off all of oh your clothes my gosh, all of and I wasn't clothes. there. Okay. You should announce that. I'm going to put a bell on you. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I choose to see you for who you're becoming. Okay. So I'm nursing Emily and Emily is only in her diaper. And Beckett came into the room and saw that Emily was only in her diaper. And he immediately said, oh no, baby Emily cold. Want her to be cozy. Want her to be snuggly. And he went to the chair in the living room and pulled the throw blanket off the chair and brought it to me and said, want to put blanket on baby Emily. And he started to try to put it on her. And I just like melted into a mom puddle right there in that moment because that was just so much growth and so much progress and so sweet. And I feel like the things that we've been telling him ever since we found out we were pregnant are just starting to stick and resonate. And he's starting to take ownership and uh, have that like protective big brother that we so hope that he'll continue throughout their lives together. And we know, I mean, they're going to be such a gift to each other. I know mm-hmm. that my siblings have, have been such a gift to me, you know, and, and siblings are just such a gift. And so one of the things that we are thinking about going very to the very beginning of this episode and solving those upstream problems is that we don't know what 12 weeks with a toddler and a 12 week old would have looked like had we not done all the proactive things that we talked about. Maybe it would have been exactly the same but I highly doubt it. And so I think that's one of those things where you'll never know the problems that you avoid by being proactive, but we are seeing so much fruit from Beckett in this season of being a big brother. And I think for us, that's just something that we want to continue to foster as much as we possibly can, because I can specifically remember a wedding that we photographed a number of years ago where there was a brother and a sister Mm. and there were only two of them, not saying we're only having two, Mm -hmm. but 
possibly we are. I don't know. So some days I'm like, oh my gosh, we're done. Two kids is enough. And then some days I'm Other like, days I Jordan's want another like, baby. Can we have 12? <laughs> so it really depends on the hour the, that you ask. The struggle is real. But we, I remember watching this. The sister was getting married and her brother was the best man in her wedding. Mm-hmm. And the way that he toasted her and the way that she talked about him, the brother and sister both got married and they were best couple friends. Mm-hmm. And we saw that and we looked at the parents and we asked ourselves the question, okay, this is not normal. The fact mm-hmm. that this brother and sister are best friends, even into adulthood, that they love each other so much that they want to hang out with their spouses and travel together and all this stuff. And Amy and I looked at those parents and said, okay, what did they do right? What did they do differently? Because it's not completely normal, right? For Mm -hmm. siblings, especially opposite gender to be best friends Mm -hmm. into adulthood. And so ever since that moment, that was before we even had kids, Mm -hmm. we asked ourselves the question, okay, when we have kids, how are we going to force our children to be best friends? No, (laughs) but what are, but now we're thinking more in terms of like every day is a gift and an opportunity to breathe into our children a love for them to have for each other. And, you know, we know that most brain development happens in the first five years of a child's life and who they become happens in the first 10 years. And so everything that we can do to foster that relationship between them, we are going to try to do that. And we hope that you'll do that too. And we just hope this episode was helpful for you. If you're a parent transitioning from one to two, hopefully some of the things we shared will help, you know, lay a solid foundation for you so that you can help your kids and help their relationship flourish. Thank you for listening to Life with Amy and Jordan. If this episode was helpful to you, we'd love for you to leave us a review. And if it wasn't, please don't. (laughs) But seriously, a review from you will help us reach more awesome people like you. To get the newest episode as soon as it's available, hit the subscribe button.